Thanks for checking out this message from River Valley Church in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you. For more messages like this, make sure to check out our podcast. And for more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Um, And so we've been in this series and we've been spending some time really discussing this place of the advancement of the kingdom of God. And we've We've taken a look at both the Old Testament and spending some time in Joshua and looking at how God worked with the children of Israel and moved them into the promised land. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But what we've been taking some time is really trying to understand in our lives as followers of Christ, and not only as followers of Christ, but of citizens of the kingdom of God, what our part is in this advancement of the kingdom and, and how that looks in our lives. And we've been taking some times to, to look at how God de- delivered his people from captivity into a promise that he had for them. And we are no different. We were once slaves to sin. We sang about this this morning, but we've found freedom in Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross. Can I get an amen? Come on in. There's something that God is doing with his people and always has been. And that's really what we're exploring right now. And I want to remind you that God gave his people everything that they needed to advance his kingdom forward. We see that both with the children of Israel and then as we've been reading through the book of Ephesians and looking what God has done in the time in which we live, that God has equipped his people very well for the season that we're in. Jason and Ellie did an amazing job last week of of helping us to really take a look at this space of what it meant to live a life of pursuit and obedience to God in contrast to apathy and concession. We looked at the children of Israel last week when they were, when they were reminded of God's goodness and when they turned their hearts towards Him, when they were walking in what He had asked them to do, they were finding tremendous victory in, in leaning into the promise that God had for them in the promised land. But the minute they decided to start being a little apathetic about their life, the minute they started going, man, we like this promised land thing. It's pretty comfortable here. Started just disobeying God in a few little areas it began to put them in a place of of compromise. And not only that, but then they started losing. They started losing the battles that God had already promised for them that they would win. So it's really important for us to, to, as we look at the children of Israel, as we look at what God has been doing through them, to, to learn some lessons from the things that we see in their life as we continue to pursue the things that God has for our lives right here and now. And so today we're going to take a look at another component of this reality when it comes to the advancement of the kingdom of God and really the context in which God did that in. And it's going to shake some of us a little bit this morning, but here's what I want you to know that, that God has always had a plan for the beginning for his people. And that plan will be accomplished. And the reason for that is, is because God is the God of the beginning and the end. He sees it all and has seen it all from the beginning of humanity and time. And God set some things into motion because he wanted people to know about himself and his goodness and his love. And he selected a people to be those who would carry that message to the world. And we get to be a part of that amazing space. And, and, and we know that that happens through opposition. In fact, Jesus promises in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, we've used this verse a number of times. And I just, I keep bringing it up because I want our hearts to be reminded of what Jesus says about the kingdom. It says, 
And this comes out of the context of Peter was talking with the Lord and, 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 and Jesus said to Peter, Peter, who do, you, who do you say that I am? What's going on around? What, who does everybody say? And Peter just looked at him and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus in that moment made this really incredible declaration, not just about Peter, but about what Peter was making the declaration about. And he said this right here. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, this truth, this reality that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, uh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I want to remind us this morning that Jesus said these words, I will build my church. I will build my church. Jesus is in the business right now of building the church. And what he promised you and I is that the gates of hell would not prevail against that work. The very thing that the father had in his heart and the purpose of sending Jesus to this earth to redeem our lives. Here's the reality of that. It was so that we could live in the same purpose and calling that Jesus was walking in this earth. And Jesus said, hey, I'm building my church and let, let me expound on what he was saying in that moment. And I'm doing it through you. I'm doing it through your life and through your family and through your workplace and through all the things that come into your life. God is advancing his kingdom through us. And the promise for us is that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How many of you know when you know that you're going to win, that's a pretty good day? The confidence of that for our lives should remind us every day that we get out of bed, we have the victory in Christ, no matter what you feel like. I mean, sometimes you get out of bed and you do not feel like you're winning. Oh, I'm going to go talk to this side of the room. <laughs> How many of you guys know that sometimes you get out of bed and you don't feel like you're winning? In fact, some of you, that looks like today. Right? Sometimes we feel that in our lives that we just get out of bed and you're like, I'm just going to get back in. I'm just going to skip today and try this thing again tomorrow. And this is exactly what Jesus was speaking about. He's saying, listen, that this, this advancement of the kingdom of God, this, this going out to help all know the goodness of God, it's, it's going to take a little work. And there's going to be some days where you're not loving that. I mean, some days where you're, you're wrestling through the reality of, man, I, I, don't, I don't even feel victorious today, but God wanted you to be reminded it really isn't about what you feel, it's about what he's already done. That's why they call this a journey of faith, right? Because sometimes what we're feeling does not match up with what we're seeing, and it will require faith for you to move from where you are into the promise of what God says that you are. It will require some faith for you to move from one side of the Jordan where there's lots of water between you and the other side to get into the promise that God has already made a declaration. It will require some faith. It's going to require a miraculous. How many of you know it, it required some faith for the children of Israel to leave the dry land that they were on to walk through a body of water that split and opened for them to get to the promise that God had for them on the other side. It took some faith. Are you with me? we act like that's a normal thing. Can I promise you that I've never experienced that in my life. I've never once walked up to the Boise River and had it just go, it would be really cool. But I've never experienced that. They did, but it took them faith to move from where they were to what God had for them. 
And can I just tell you this morning, for you and your life, it will take some faith. I'm going to rephrase that. It will take a lot of faith for you to move from where you are into what God has for the greater part of your life that's ahead of you. But here's the wonderful thing about God. He is so patient with us in that journey. He's so fit. We see him with the children of Israel model that in such a powerful way. Right? Even in their craziness, even in their rebellion, even in their silliness, even in them saying, God, we want to go back to Egypt. Even in all of that. Anybody ever said, I just want to go back to my old life. It'd just be easier. Don't raise your hand. I don't know if he's going to admit to that. But listen, the children of Israel thought so. And can I say, I've talked with lots of Christians, and I am one of them, that at times in my life I've thought, man, there's got to be an easier way to do this. And the reality of it is, is that God sees us even in those moments and still calls us his children, his beloved, still speaks promise over our life, doesn't go, well, fine, you don't get the promised land anymore. He invites us in those places where our faith is weak to come lean on him and to watch him do something extraordinary in our lives. The posture of the kingdom is one of active advancement and forceful movement forward. And that is done, listen to me this morning, together. It's done together. See, oftentimes what we miss about the story of the children of Israel and even what we see in the New Testament is we love to personalize this for ourselves. We love, we love to think about the calling of God in our life. We love to think about how special we are. We love to think about all of those things. But I want to bring a little bit of a different light to it this morning uh, for us as we look at this, that God called a people, not just a person, to the promised land. God called an entire people group to the promised land. He didn't look at Moses and say, hey, Moses, the promised land is for you. It's not what he did. He invited a people to come and experience the promise that he had for them. Clearly, God showed us this with the children of Israel and set them as an example for us to understand that this journey of faith is not just about me, not just about what I get out of it, but there's something really extraordinary that God showed us through not only the children of Israel, but the New Testament church about this reality that in order to enter into the promise and the invitation to the promise that God has for us is not just for me, but it's for the we. It's for us together. The children of Israel would never have experienced the promised land if it would have just been Moses going in or just been Joshua going in or just being somebody that had all the faith. It required all of them to cross over and to together go and lay hold of the promise that God had for them. Now, this is highly offensive specifically, listen to me this morning, to our current culture. Because our current culture teaches us that everything is about us. The culture that we live in here in the United States specifically teaches us that life is all about you and your wants and your desires and the things that, that make you feel good. The culture that surrounds us today invites us into this place of 
The easiest way I can say it is selfishness. It's fixing our eyes and making ourselves, for a lack of better term, God in our own world. And our culture, our, our secularistic culture, puts us into that and surrounds us in a bubble of that in everything that we do in life. My wife found this article as I was preparing for this week from a secular writer. And I want you to listen to what this lady states about our culture. Listen to this. It says, Every choice a person makes, large or small, from how time is spent to which career to pursue will have an effect on another person. It could be as seemingly miscellaneous and or large enough to radically change your entire life. Regardless of the degree, someone is always affected by the choices of others. It is impossible to avoid. Because of this, decisions should not be handled with indifference towards the influence they could have in the lives of others. Rather, they should be valued for this very reason. There is an attitude, this is a secular writer, listen to this. There is an attitude in many people today that promotes making choices with little or no regard to others. It is not selfishness, but more self-centeredness through ignorance. This was written by somebody who has no faith background to them, but was describing the culture that we live in today. When we take a step back and just look at everything that surrounds us in our culture, I think we would have to agree that it's very easy for us specifically to focus on me. And here's what we get to learn from Scripture. In Joshua chapter 7, we we see that the children of Israel had moved into the promised land. They went to their first battle, and and we talked about it a couple weeks ago. This was the battle of Jericho. This was the battle that most of us still have in our mind of the veggie tails playing and Slurpees coming off the walls and all that kind of stuff. I know some of you are like, you've lost your mind. But we have this idea of what what the battle of Jericho looks like, but really what the battle battle of Jericho was was a test for God's people. Because God spoke to them at the beginning and said, hey, when I deliver this city into your hands and when I show you how, how to gain victory here, which God wants to do in each one of our lives, he goes on to say, oh, everything from this city belongs to me. This was God speaking because it's the first city. And to be clear, this is always God's principle of first fruit. Every, everything first belongs to him. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let's be clear about this. And so God was testing the children of Israel in this moment. He said, hey, don't take anything for yourself. I promise to provide for you everything that you will need. Can I tell you, he says the same thing to you today. Hey, listen, trust me. I will provide everything that you need in your life. He will take care of you. This is what he's speaking to the children of Israel. And in chapter 7, they're getting ready to go fight another battle. And Jason and Ellie touched on this last week. And they went to this battle that they should have won super easy. Like this was an easy one for them. Jericho, that was challenging. AI, not so much. The scripture describes them as a weak people with very few battle-ready men and that the children of Israel should just wipe them out in a second. And and so they just sent a a, a little group of the Israelites to go and conquer these people in AI. and, And what happens was extraordinary. They got it handed to them. 
And so Joshua and the elders of Israel are like, what is going on? What's the, how in the world? God, you told us that we were going to win these battles. God, you told us that the promised land was ours. God, you told us that I'd be free of my addictions. God, you told me that I, and God simply spoke to Joshua and said, what are you, what are you whining about? And in chapter 7, verse 10, this is what the Lord speaks to Joshua. He says, but the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like that? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. God's speaking to Joshua saying, what, what, are you, what are you doing? Like I told you that I would be with you and the only thing that would negate that is if you broke covenant with me. So God goes on to say, it says, they have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but they lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. This is why Israel, the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. Can I just tell you, this might be for some of us why we're experiencing the challenges that we're facing in life. Because maybe, just maybe, there might be something in our life that God has asked us to do and we've just chose to do it our way. What do you mean by that, Tim? There was a guy named Achan who was a part of the children of Israel, one guy who decided when they took Jericho to just take a few things, just a couple things. In fact, scripture actually describes this in, in a really funny way. It, it describes Achan when they, when they went into Jericho that he saw some silver and he saw some gold and he saw this really cool robe and he decided to keep it for himself. And he was thinking, man, this will be great for my family down the road. I'm just going to save this for me and my family. What Achan didn't realize was that his sin would cause the defeat of an entire nation. What Achan didn't realize was that his disobedience to what God had asked him to do was going to impact not only him and his family, but an entire nation of people. There's this reality in our life that when we think that the things that we do in our life will only affect us, will only affect me, the reality of it is, is that is not at all how God designed humanity to function together. And specifically, it's not how he designed the body of Christ to function together. We were designed to be one. And so what we see out of this place is that, that Achan saw and that he wanted something. He allowed his flesh to overrule what God had already instructed him to do. And because of that, God said, Israel has sinned. He didn't say Achan had sinned. I want you to understand. Notice the English that's being used here. When God spoke to Joshua about why they were losing the battles, he didn't say, hey, Achan sinned. He said, Israel's sin. Our lives impact the people around us far more than we could even imagine. This family that we've been invited to, the body of Christ, the part that you play in it is way more significant than you understand. And the things of our life, the enemies that we don't conquer, the things in our life of our flesh that try to get us to live life on our own terms will impact the people that are around us. We see it right here through Achan, but that's not only the, the only place in Scripture that we see this. We see this in a reality in the New Testament as well. We see this invitation from, 
from Paul as he's speaking to the early church and he challenges the early church, hey, don't think more of yourself than you ought to. Don't allow yourself to become the central piece of everything that's going on. Turn your eyes and see this, that that God has created us as the body of Christ to function together in unity and purpose, just like we did, we saw with the children of Israel. You know what the cool thing about was with the children of Israel? The minute they turned their hearts, repented towards God, and, and dealt with the sin that was going on among them, God continued to lead them in victory into the promised land. God has the same thing for your life and mine. But there is a reality of how we approach that, that the things that you're doing in your life, the things that you are processing in your life, the places that God has invited you to go and to conquer, the things that God is wanting to do inside of you and has asked you to do is impacting the people that are around you in life and not just your family. But it's impacting the effectiveness of the kingdom of God as it advances forward. And I know you're like, man, Tim, that's, that's kind of heavy. That's a, that's a lot of responsibility for one person to take on. Can I tell you what the scripture teaches us in this place? Really, we're fit together beautifully by God so that we can actually support one another in these places. So if we're living life independently on our own terms, then we are causing a strain to the body that is around us because we were meant to fit together beautifully to support each other in this weighty journey and to see the kingdom of God advance forward in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, on the missions fields that God takes us out to. God had already designed all those things to be in play when we do it together, when we function together. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, paints this beautiful picture for us. I want to close with this this morning as we finish out our time. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. This is the place of surrender. This is the place of God saying, my life is yours. This is really what salvation looks like. When we say, Jesus, you have my whole heart, my whole life. Then it goes on to say, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. How do we really worship God? By surrendering our lives to him. By giving him our whole heart. Then it goes on to say, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. There's a reality of the transformative work of the Holy Spirit that's going on in your life. And God's saying, listen, don't let yourself be conformed to the culture that you live in. The culture that we live in says life is all about you. The culture that we live in says make your life more comfortable. Make make your life better. All of these things. And can I tell you, it's not that God doesn't want good or better for you. That's not it at all. The heart of God is wonderful towards you. He's just saying you're not the center of that. Our culture tells us something completely different. And we're being instructed here, listen, don't let your heart be wrapped up in the culture that's trying to get you to be like it. It says that God is trying to do a work in you to transform the way that you think. How many of you know everything begins right up here for us? 
It's trying to transform the way that you think so that you think more kingdom-minded instead of culturally-minded. So that you think more like Christ than you do like like the, the kingdom of this world. And then he goes on to say, because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Do not think that you are better than you really are. In other words, don't think that you're better. Don't think that this culture won't impact you. Don't think that the media, don't think that all of these things aren't going to impact your life. Don't get in that funky place of pride. Don't let your heart be like, oh no, I got that. I love Jesus. I went to church on Sunday. There's a warning coming to us saying, hey, don't don't let yourself get puffed up in this place. Don't let that happen. And it says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith faith that God has given us, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to whom? Each other. This is the same picture that God gave us a physical example of with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. They were a part of this promise together. The promise of the new covenant that we've received in Jesus Christ is not you independently on your own. It's you connected with the body of Christ. That you are a part of what God has created to reveal himself to the world that we live in today. It's a beautiful picture. Are you important? Without a doubt. So important that God decided to send his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins so that you could engage in personal relationship with him. But that is not where it ends. And that you were invited now to be a part of his family so that his family could represent him to a world that needs to know the goodness of God. You see, the advancing kingdom of God is constantly moving forward because God is constantly moving into the places of our world that have been broken by sin and need to know the touch of Jesus. That's you and me. We are his hands and feet in the world that we live in today. And we are a part of this thing together. So the decisions that you make in your life, the decisions you make in your relationship with God, the decisions you make in your connection with the body of Christ impact the people that you're around because we're given a very clear picture here that we are one body. One body. And each one of us supplies something very special to that body and that we are to be submitted to one another. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, but it's counterculture. It's beautiful because it gives us a strength that we cannot have on our own. It gives us an effectiveness. It gives us purpose that we can't have on our own, but it's counterculture. Because our culture says, make everything about you. And so we have a choice as the people of God to decide how we're going to engage with this kingdom mindset. This mindset of being one together and yet in the same way, functioning in life in the individual spaces that God has called us to. 
No different that the children of Israel, when they entered into the promised land and they entered into all the things that God had for them, the victory was theirs in totality, but each one of them had some individual battles that they had to fight and win that were right in front of them. They didn't take over cities and they didn't take over areas without each one of them going into that area and defeating some enemies that were existing there. So while God has given us a promise that is corporate, he's also invited us into the place of understanding that each one of the decisions that we're making in life is impacting the corporate effectiveness on what God's called us to. Here's what he's called us to do. Jesus said, I want you to go into this world and I want you to make disciples. I want you to teach people what it is to be a part of the kingdom of God. And I want you to teach them that through the example of your life and your relationships and the choices that you make, and the things that you spend your time and money on. That's how we demonstrate to the world who God is, is by the choices that we make in connection with what God is doing in his kingdom and the places that he's called us to. I don't know what each one of those are for you, but I do know what they are for me. My family, we live in a neighborhood with neighbors who desperately need to know Jesus. They need to see him in the way that we live our lives. There's people that we interact with every day in our workplaces that God has called you to there to advance the kingdom of God in that space. And I want to remind you that he didn't leave you powerless to do that, but he gave you the deposit of his Holy Spirit so that the fruits of the Spirit can pour out through your life. But church, listen. The promised land and the promises that God has for you will not be realized individually. They will be realized together. They will be realized as we walk in community and love one another, as we pray for one another and carry one another's burdens, as we walk with each other through seasons of life as we come around each other and support the work of God that's happening in our lives. God showed us that through the children of Israel. He spoke it over the New Testament church, and we are living in that right now in our lives. So as we think of this forcefully advancing kingdom, as we think of what God has invited us to, he invited, it, he invited us to that together. And each one of us play a part and seeing that transpire in our lives. Will you stand with me this morning as we close our time? You know, a lot of times when we hear these kind of messages, there's a lot of things that we're processing through in our lives. Well, Tim, how exactly does that look? How do we, how do we work through these realities of togetherness? Here's what I want to just speak into your heart today. It's one day at a time one relationship at a time, one revelation that turns into application, that turns into a transformed way of thinking at a time. But here's what we've, as the body of Christ, got to be open to. We've got to be open to saying, Holy Spirit, in what way does my life not reflect what your kingdom is trying to display? God, in what way am I living independently in my life? 
In what way have I made this about my personal relationship with Jesus as opposed to this reality of a body that I've been invited to be a part of? Because there's something that God wants to do in the day and age in which we live to reveal himself, I think, in a more clear way to the world that we live in. And that's going to require each one of us saying, God, what do you, what do you need to do in me so that I am better connected to what you're doing in your body? God, what part do I play? What part do I play, God, in the forceful advancement of the kingdom of God through my life, in my neighborhood, in my family, and in our local church? And when we start asking those questions of the Holy Spirit, here's why I want to reassure you. He will answer you. He will answer you. Because he wants you to find the fruitfulness of living in the promise that he has for you far more than you want it for your own life. And so he will be faithful to lead. Thanks again for listening to this message. Do you know someone who'd be blessed by it? Make sure to share it with them this week.